to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for rolling with that. Thanks for uh, worship team for leading us. That is uh, incredible. It's so, so good to be led into worship that way. Um, happy Independence Day. Any golfers out there? Anybody playing golf uh, these days? Okay, there's one. Everybody else must be out on the course. Um, so uh, I used to be pretty into golf. Not pretty good, but into it. You know, I would play. So in high school, I loved going out with my friends and trying to shoot just under their score and, and best them in whatever way that I could. Uh, competition kind of flows in my veins. But there was a problem. Uh, my mom played golf too. And that meant every once in a while, I would find myself on the course with my mom and still that same competitive nature was there, still wanted very much to beat my mom in golf. I wanted to shoot lower than her, maybe a little bit too much. And the problem was inevitably, she would beat me by one stroke. Time and time again, she would beat me by one stroke. And she got in my head. So we'd get out on the course, and it wouldn't be long before I was throwing clubs. I was slamming clubs into the ground so I could hardly get them out of the turf, uh, you know, swearing underneath my breath loud enough for everybody to hear. Yeah, I just admitted it, confession time. I knew that that was not going to be my key to success. I knew that losing my mind and getting frustrated and getting angry wasn't going to be the way that I was going to shoot a low score in golf. But I did it anyway. Now, what do you do when you don't want to do what you know you should? What do you do when you find yourself in that situation? What do you do in your moment of truth when you're faced with that situation where you don't want to do what you know you should. Now, here's what we probably know and we would agree with. Um, uh, after we've asked this question, what do you do when you don't want to do what you know you should? That's a tongue twister, but um, I've had weeks to practice, so um, there it is. It's up for you to read. We know this to be true, that in the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. Now, if you've been around Grace Point at all for any uh, amount of time and you've checked out our website, you know that that's actually one of our core values, that statement right there. And if you want to fact check me later, it's number six. Um, so this is really important to who we are as a church, this statement here. Basically, what we're saying is God is in charge and what he wants goes. What we're saying is if there's ever a conflict of desires, we're going to go with what God wants. It should be God wins rather than I win. But that's easier said than done. I think we all kind of know on an intellectual level that we should do what we know we should do. It, it makes sense. I mean, <laughs> but who actually lives like that? Just the other day, I'm having a conversation with one of my kids. We're enjoying a bagel, and one of my other kids comes in the room and is like, oh, can I have some of that bagel? And I turn to one of my kids who will remain nameless, and I say, 
don't, don't you want to share that with your brother? And she said, no. And I said, well, that would be the, the kind thing to do. That would be the right thing to do in this moment is to just share a little bit of your bagel with, with your brother. She said, but I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Well, eventually she got full and ended up sharing her bagel, but her default reaction was to say, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. No. And I think we find ourselves in that kind of situation often, if we're honest. I know I've failed in this time and time again. And I think this is one of the ideals that we wish were kind of more true of us. I wish, we kind of wish that, yes, this was this ideal was more true of us than it actually is. So what do you do when you don't want to do what you know you should? So I think our text this morning is going to help us with this. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. So you can find that right now, Mark chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 32. And I think the reason this is going to be helpful is because of um, what we see taking place. Now, just some background, some context. Um, as you're turning to Mark 14, the, Mark's contemporary Gentile audience in this scene uh, faced immediate and impending persecution, suffering, oppression, martyrdom, all at the hands of the Roman Empire under Nero. So you've got to understand that this is, these are the ears that this is going to be falling on. There was certainly reason for this original audience to be uh, mad at the situation. There's plenty of reasons to want to give up and not do what they knew they should do. And that's what I think is really refreshing about our text this morning, too, is that we're going to see that even Jesus didn't want to do what he knew he should even Jesus didn't want to do what he knew he should. So in one of the most dramatic, emotion-filled scenes found in all of Scripture, we're going to see Jesus fall to the ground and bear his soul. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where we encounter Jesus crying out to the Father as he anticipates his impending crucifixion. This is intense. This is extremely heavy. He begs for the situation, the circumstances to be changed. And up to this point, Jesus has been talking about his crucifixion. He's been talking calmly and almost casually about it. Imagine the, the dinner at the upper room where Jesus holds up the cup and coolly just kind of says, hey, this is the cup. This is the image of my, my blood being poured out for you. Then he holds up the, the bread, breaks it and says, my body, broken for you. But now in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, as he prays, the reality of what's about to happen is sinking in. The weight of the moment is almost crushing. 
And we're going to see the disciples, they can't take it. They're tested beyond what they can handle. But we're going to see Jesus pass the test. We're going to see that Jesus' ultimate allegiance to the Father holds. And where the disciples say they don't want to do it, so they don't do it, Jesus doesn't want to do it, but he does. And that's the huge difference that we're going to see in our text. So let's start um, beginning in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. This scene starts with Jesus basically stumbling to the ground. He can't even walk anymore. That's the kind of weight we're under. And look at the words that are used to describe the emotion. This is incredibly intense. This is the, the cup, that imagery becoming real, the imagery coming into real life. Start with verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Now, we don't know all that Jesus prays. It, it, this is a, an all-night event. This takes all night. Uh, he's back and forth to the disciples three times. We don't know everything that's incorporated in his prayer. But we have the beginning, and I think we have the end, and we know that he repeats it. He goes back. He keeps going back to the Father with this prayer. He says, going a little bit further, this is verse 35, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. There it is, the beginning of his prayer. He says, take this cup from me. Jesus doesn't want the suffering he's about to face. He's looking at it. He, for the first time, he's kind of maybe realizing, whoa, this is going to mean separation. This is going to mean darkness. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. It disorients. It weighs heavy. It takes us on the wrong course. It confuses. And it separates. Most of all, it separates. And he's looking at, for the first time, separation from the Father. He's about to take all of the sin of the world on himself. All of the separation, all of the darkness, all of the deeply distressed, I think that's where that comes from, on himself. And then look at the second half of verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not I win, but he wins. Okay, God, you win. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, why are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. Uh, This isn't as much about reprimanding the disciples, calling them out for doing something wrong, as it is setting up a comparison. This is the comparison between how Jesus responds to this intense pressure and how the disciples respond. They sleep, but Jesus is doing something different. Their eyes are heavy. They don't really know what to do. But Jesus does something different. Jesus is engaging with God and doing the work of setting down his desire, his want, so that he can pick up God, so that he can pick up what he knows he's supposed to do. He's setting down all of those personal dreams, all those alternatives to the suffering and crucifixion, all those other, other ways that, could it be? Could there be another way? Please, take this cup. At least three times repeating that. Any other way. He's taking that, putting it to death, crucifying it. Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 10, describes it like this. He cried out. He was heard. He learned obedience by what he suffered to the salvation of humankind. His circumstances don't change, but through obedience, learned in the suffering the course of humankind constant, cosmically changed because of his obedience. We have hope. Jesus didn't want to do what he knew he should, but he did it anyway. And he got to that point by engaging with the Father. Now, I think there's a lot that happens in between Take this cup from me, and not my will, but yours. I think there's a big dot, 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 and a lot of stuff is taking place that we don't have in the text. But here's what, here's what I think. Here's what I know. Here's what this text tells me. It tells me that we have permission to plead for our desires. We have permission to go before God honestly with whatever our cup might be, with whatever emotion pushes us there. And we have the potential, we have the permission to be honest. But then this makes me ask a couple of questions. Will we, will I have the humility to engage with God with our desires, with my desires? Will I be present and engage with him? And then will we have the ability to put to death our desires for the sake of his? I don't know about you, but uh, I have trouble yielding sometimes. Um, That's not an easy thing to do especially when I'm under pressure, 
when I'm in the middle of a competition, when uh, I don't understand what God's up to, when I'm in one of those kind of moments, the question remains, hey, why doesn't God just take this cup from me? Why doesn't God just fix this? Honestly, that's what I want. I think this is a good and valid question. But we see the pattern that Jesus, Jesus shows, and it's not the first time we see it. We see also in the scriptures, in the Psalms, this pattern, a pattern that plays out. Look at Psalm 42, verse 5, just one verse. Watch what happens. In one verse, we see, why are you so downcast, O my soul? That's how it starts, verse 5. I see another dot, 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 because the second half of that verse is, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's hugely different. Where we start and where we finish is hugely different, and what happens in the middle is so important. That move from despair to trust in God. It allows Jesus to do what he knows he should do, but doesn't want to. And it can allow us to do the same. This wasn't, this wasn't behavior modification. This wasn't just get my act together. This was complete and total will crucifixion. <laughs> I am going to set down what I want to do in light of what I know I'm supposed to do. And as we arrived on the scene in Gethsemane, what was happening? We have God's will, the Father's will going one direction, and Jesus' will going another. But somewhere in that process, somewhere in that being honest, engaging, and then yielding, those wills come together. And it's incredibly powerful. And the world changes as a result of that choice. Let's look at verse 41. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus is saying enough is enough. The time for praying is over. Now we get up. Now we go and do what we know we're supposed to do. And in his moment of truth, ironically, Jesus is going to win by saying, you win. by handing over his wants and desires, by saying, your will, not mine. Now, he sets aside some of the things that I think we assume as Americans, some of the entitlements, some of the things that we aspire towards get set down, like to be popular, to top the charts. Jesus goes to the bottom to be great, to show it off, to swagger. Jesus goes to the bottom. Jesus is humiliated. 
to be successful, to win it all, at all costs, Jesus loses his very life. And here's a great one. Avoid failure at all costs. Who looks like the biggest loser in this situation? Jesus. He doesn't look like he's won anything. He ends up on the cross, and he suffers greatly. When we're faced with a conflict of desires, it's way easier to just go for that I win motto. What I say goes. But where the disciples fail, Jesus succeeds at enacting, at embodying that core value. In the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. So at this point, you may be saying, come on, you don't know me. You have no idea the cup that I'm holding right now. You have no idea what I'm facing. Okay? You might be in that category. Some of you might be thinking like, life is going pretty good for me. I'm not really facing a cup. This is not a a big deal. I don't, why are we even talking about this? Well, let me challenge you with this. If you don't know what your cup is, if you haven't identified what that is, think back Replay some of the tape. What were the most intense emotions of late? Go back to those moments where an emotional response took place. Maybe you got angry. Maybe you were frustrated. Maybe you were irritated with somebody because they were getting in your way. Maybe it was something that led to you being greatly discouraged or deeply distressed, to use the words of the scripture. But get into that moment. Could getting honest, could engaging with God, could yielding to his want be where we go? when we face those kind of moments, when we are holding those kind of cups. What is the cup that you want God to take from you? What do you not want to do or go through that you know you should? Who is it going to be in that moment? Me or God? Will we decide to be our own God? That's an option. We can choose to be the one in charge. We can choose to be the one who has all the authority and all the power. Think about it. When we choose to be our own God, we might get temporary relief, temporary pleasure. But in the end of the day, you've got to admit, (laughs) it's going to lead us to lasting regret because the reality is we're not God. The gift of the cup is that it reveals my desires and hopes. It reveals where those strong emotions get triggered 
The gift of the cup is that it shows us where our loyalties truly lie. It reminds us that Jesus has already taken the cup on himself. He has already taken the burden that none of us could ever bear. He is the only one who could handle the cup. Jesus is God's gift to us, and he has taken our place on the cross, taken the cup we could never, ever take. So what do we do? What if we got honest with God? What if in the next five minutes we got honest with God, named it, played back the tape of some of those incredibly emotional moments of our lives, and said, what, what triggered that? What was the cup? What was the cup that I wish I never had to face, that I never had to hold? What if we took all of the anxiety, the darkness, the deeply distressed, and laid it out before God and said, here, this is what it is. Please, take this. And then after we get honest, what if we engage? What if we engaged God instead of demanding immediate results, immediate answers? And what if we did that work that Jesus did in the middle of that prayer? And what if at the end of the day we were able to say, not I win, but he wins, and we were able to yield to God's will? At some point in the process, the focus shifts from the cup to trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. And this makes all the difference in the world because it opens up the door for real, genuine, self-sacrificing love. It makes real love possible. I have to admit, I keep on learning this lesson. I, I know that I should get on the floor and play blocks with my youngest, but I would rather just stay in the kitchen and eat another tasty cake donut. Like, I know that I should probably play with my kids and engage with them out in the yard, but um, I would rather just escape and tinker in the garage. I know that I should just jump at the chance to go to the pool with my kids and take that whole crew, uh, all five of them. But I'm like, I... That's a process. <laughs> to get all five of them ready to go to the pool is a process, and then they have to pee. <laughs> I don't really want to do that, but I know I should. I can't deny what I want. I have to get honest. But then I have to engage and ultimately yield for the sake of something greater. Can I take you back to those uh, summer golf rounds um, with my mom where I desperately wanted to win? <laughs> Instead of doing what I knew I should, I went ahead and lost my mind, freaked out, got furious. You know, the competition and pressure, it can do that. And it didn't just sabotage my round of golf. It, it didn't just 
take away what I actually wanted. My guess is that it took some of the joy out of it for my mom, too, to watch her son kind of go through this long, drawn-out temper tantrum. It's, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, she, had a, she enjoyed it a little bit. She got her jabs in, but at the end of the day, it really was sad. Because this wasn't just a golf issue. This was a heart issue. Something in me needed to change. And on those occasions, I couldn't think about anybody else. I couldn't think about what, what it would mean to love somebody genuinely and honestly. And every time I threw a club, every time I slammed one into the ground, I was saying, my will be done. My will be done. And yeah, there was temporary relief, but there was lasting regret. Why? Because my vision was so small. It was so self-focused. And because I'm not very good at being God. If we don't give ourselves permission to get honest with God about what we truly and deeply want, it's going to be hard to get deep with God. If we don't engage with God in the process, it's going to be hard to get past our commitment to an I win, I want motto of living. And if we don't yield to God, it's going to be hard to live with big enough vision to actually get behind and our ability to love is going to be absorbed by self-absorption. Our love can't be genuine. It can't be authentic apart from sacrifice. If we don't ever yield our want, listen, if we don't ever yield our want, there's a good chance we've made ourselves God. We've been trying to do what only Jesus can do. We've been trying to carry and hold a cup that only he can hold. And eventually, it's going to be too heavy. We're going to be crushed under the weight. Sometimes, our want has to go to the cross so that what he wants goes. In the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. What are you going to do in your moment of truth? What are you going to do in your moment of truth? Next week, Greg is up to talk about perseverance, endurance, and running a good race. I'm really looking forward to that, but um, would you join me as we wrap up? I'll pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the chance to come together, open up your word, and let it change us. God, thank you for that question. What, what are we going to do when we don't want to do what we know we should?
God, I pray that you would be there. I pray that you would be our default, that you would become the one that we turn to when we're faced with something that is way too big for us to handle on our own, way too heavy for us to hold up underneath. Lord, I don't know what it is for everybody in this room. I don't know what your cup is. But I pray that we would be willing to accept the reality that you have taken that cup for us. You have taken all of the sins of the world on yourself so that we would not have to drink of that cup. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the bigger picture, to have a bigger vision, to have a vision that is centered around you and knowing you, engaging with you, and that it would become natural, that it would become as natural as breathing to yield to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I pray that you would continue to do work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.